Welcome to Everything You Know About Disability is Wrong, a podcast by disabled people for disabled people. But if you're not disabled, stick around. You might learn something new. Oh my goodness. You are such an inspiration. Wow, you really are. You're so strong. Can I pet your service dog? One, two, three, let's go. We are artists, parents, teachers, good guys, bad guys, students, leaders. I'm not your inspiration. Yeah, I'm fully who I am. Got my own expectations that don't fit into your plans. I'm not your sad story, so I wrote it in this song. Everything you know about disability is wrong. Yeah, everything you know. Yeah, everything you know about disability is wrong. Welcome to a very special episode of Everything You Know About Disability is Wrong. As you know, Aaron and I normally have uh, guests on the podcast, and today is a very special episode because we figure after a few episodes of listening to us, you might want to get to know a little more about us. So today we are going to be just chatting with each other, and then we have a very special addition today that both of our partners are on the podcast. I'm excited. This is definitely... A different podcast, but I'm kind of liking the direction, so I'm excited. Yeah, I feel like if we like ask all of our guests to talk about their dating experiences, it's only fair for us to have to share ours. <laughs> but before we get into chatting with our partners, one of the big things about this podcast is that we wanted to create a space where we wouldn't have to have what we refer to as the disability 101 conversations, where you kind of have to, you know, disclose your disability, talk about what it means to you, things like that. And that is the case of the space of this podcast. But as of right now, we're going to suspend that for a second. And Aaron and I will each give our little disability 101 or get to know us who we are. So Aaron, you want to introduce yourself, your age, and just tell our listeners a little bit about you? I am Erin, I'm 39 years old, and I'm going to turn 40 in August, so that's exciting. I have um, muscular dystrophy and also anxiety. I live in New Jersey, I love reading and video games, and Mariah Carey is my favorite, and I love this podcast. I love this podcast too. Okay, I'll Uno reverse that on myself. I am Lily. I'm 25. I live in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm autistic. I think I say that in every episode, but just in case you hadn't gotten that yet. I also just in general would say that my mental health landscape is a bit of a volatile place and affects my day-to-day quite intensely. I... I'm also really into reading. Aaron inspires me to read more because Aaron reads... How many books have you read this year, Aaron? Right now, I'm at 33. Okay, yeah. Yep. <laughs> My goal for the whole year is 36, and but you're amazing and you inspire me to read more. I also really like music. I would say that probably one of my first ever special interests was the Jonas Brothers, They just released a new album, so I'm really in a good place in life right now. I'm also really obsessed with Phoebe Bridgers and Boy Genius in general. That's a little bit about me. Erin, 
what is your like kind of diagnosis story slash how did disability enter your life and how did you find out about it? I was diagnosed before I was born, as everyone is, and I was born with a dislocated hip. And so the doctors were like, well, that's strange. And then when I was, actually, I was not able to like stand up at that certain age or like hold myself, hold my head up or anything. So I got diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was one. And I got my first wheelchair when I was three. So I was driving around, three years old, having a grand time. My parents never like had different expectations for me growing up, which I think has really helped my personal relationship with disability and like being proud of who I am throughout my life, even if I had a strange relationship with the word disability. So now I'm like very proud to be disabled and say it. I think you've talked to me in the past about like how when you first started kind of learning about the word disability, it was often like shown to you in kind of like dreary and sad vibes and that kind of affected your relationship with the word. Want to tell me a little more about that? I grew up watching telephones from an organization and it made me feel like it was a lot about pity and like, oh, help these poor children who have muscular dystrophy. They're just waiting for you to help them. And I was like, that's not me. Like, I'm not like that at all. So I'm not disabled. And that's what I thought disability was. But then online, I found a community and I found a space that was more aligned with my personal views about who I was. So that definitely changed my mind. I got into disability justice, partially because as disabled people, you kind of have to, like you don't have a choice. But I love this space now, and I'm very proud of like being part of the community. Listeners, if you haven't listened to our previous episode with Dom Evans, I think that's some of my favorite conversation we've had so far on the podcast is talking about just like the power of community and how like incredible the the disability community is. So as I mentioned, I I think I referred to it as my mental health landscape is a volatile place. I think that I did not figure out I was autistic until I was 22, 23-ish. I started to like figure it out and then went and talked to psychiatrists and stuff and did all that jazz. But I started the red flags of like, mm, this child is maybe experiencing some mental health problems started when I was quite young. I had tics and I would move my body in kind of ways that were not normal. I say with air quotes, which now I can look back on and realize I was stimming. And then I had like, very intense anxiety and periods of very intense depression. And I think had a lot of meltdowns that I was categorizing as just me being like intensely unwell that now I look back on and see I was like overstimulated. But it's interesting because I feel like the 
mental health community. Like I, I, you know, I was in, so I graduated high school in 2015 and we're around the time of like mental health is starting to be talked about in public settings, but disability was not at all. And it was interesting because I was in on like social media and felt very comfortable talking about having mental health issues and all that jazz, but I never was entering the disability space until the word autism entered my life. And it was suddenly, it was like a weird space where I was like, I don't really know where I belong. Like, do I celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month in May or Disability Pride Month in July? Like, which one do I fit in now? And I think that that's one of my like big agendas here with everything you know about disability is wrong is like including mental health issues into the disability community because I I really do see how how much better my mental health is now that I am part of the disability community and get to have conversations like this and like I appreciate that you you know you list anxiety up there as well as a disability and I recently while we were in DC with Easter Seals we heard someone speak who referred to mental health issues or mental health illnesses as psychiatric disabilities. And I had never heard that phrase before, but I really liked it because it felt like a way of kind of tearing down that wall that feels up between mental health and disability, which I would like to do because I feel like the more we're all able to talk, we can all make accommodations more normal and all that jazz. So, yeah. For my anxiety, I was always anxious, but didn't have like a name for it until I was an adult. And I was like, oh wait, these panic attacks in the middle of the night, that's not supposed to happen. And so like I got help for that. Um, I saw a therapist, which did help a lot. I took medicine that helps a lot. Like I've been in situations where people obviously see the muscular dystrophy, but they don't see the anxiety. So they'll be like, you seem fine. I'm like, yeah, I'm really good at hiding it. But like inside, my body's like vibrating and shaking, and I can feel it. Like even on podcast calls, I am anxious the entire time. But I learned to work through it. sometimes it's still like a challenge. Yes. I mean, I I relate to all of that. I think anxiety has played a major role in my life. And you brought Mm -hmm. up panic attacks in the middle of the night. It's so interesting having that language of like being able to know like, oh, that's a panic attack. Because obviously, like, when I was a child having panic attacks, I didn't know that those were panic attacks. I just like, something is happening. And it's interesting to look back and like have the language to be able to be like, oh, Yeah, I don't have to go through this without seeking help. Yeah. I love having this space to be our our real selves. I actually had a friend recently ask me if I think I'm masking on the podcast. And it was kind of an interesting question because like, yeah, I'm definitely anxious. Like, But at the same time, I feel like once we get into the conversations, I'm like more comfortable than ever. And I mean, we made the deliberate decision to just do audio and have transcripts available for our deaf listeners and like who could read the episodes and not do video content. And I think that that was 
a deliberate choice by both of us to help manage our anxiety in this first exploration into podcasting. And even the anxiety of our guests who might not be comfortable with video. Absolutely. Like, it's great to bring awareness to topics, but also in a world where bigotry and hatred seems to have loud platforms, it is scary to represent any kind of group. Speaking of, I want to acknowledge that this episode is going to air in June, which is Pride Month. And Aaron and I both identify as queer. And happy happy Pride. Pride. Really full Pride summer going from May Mental Health Awareness Month, June Pride, July Disability Pride. We're just going to be loving our mini identities for months in a row. I definitely had anxiety about this episode leading up and like mentioning because I had mentioned in the last episode, I kind of like casually slipped in that I'm queer. I like said it. And then of course had the anxiety of like, (gasps) like, what if people see that I am a woman with a boyfriend who uses he, him pronouns, and then they think she's lying. And I had like this feeling of like, oh, I need to Maybe I should spend this special episode justifying like how my relationship's queer and how that works. And then I uh, was on Twitter and saw Imani Barberin, who is an incredible disability activist that any of our listeners should follow if they don't already. And uh, there's like a, a meme going around saying like, how do you serve in a blank way? Serve meaning like look awesome. So the the one that Imani commented on was like, how do you serve in a disabled way? And people were quote tweeting that by putting just great selfies of their disabled selves. And someone had quote tweeted it with a selfie. And then their tweet was saying something along the lines of like, I am deaf in one ear. That's why I'm joining this trend because their disability was invisible. And Imani so beautifully put in the quote tweet just said, you don't have to justify taking up space here. I believe you. And I think that I needed to see that when I did, because just to be reminded that, like, you don't have to justify taking up space in your own identities. And I think that that's such a a weird thing that disabled people have to face of the thought of, like, do people think we're faking it? Like, faking it conversations are so just bogus to me and (laughs) and like so it's always a good reminder and I hope any listeners who ever what a wild thing to feel like imposter syndrome in your own identity (laughs) it leads to a lot of confusion self-doubt and like just feeling ostracized in your own body and in your own mind that's why we need spaces and podcasts and media about this but to normalize it and know that everyone has the space we have the space take it up and use it yes absolutely and like there's no right way to be your identity so I appreciate all of that and I um think that now's a good time to transition into let's let's get our partners on the show and into order sushi really fast like two seconds i'm still hungry please order sushi (laughs) yeah we'll take a break i want to keep this in the podcast (laughs) we'll take a break and go to easter seals who are i mean they are a sponsor they do 
they do give us a platform and produce this podcast where we are able to talk about who we are. So, but sponsors doesn't even feel like enough of a word. They're like our, oh, I almost use the word champions, which I hate that word, <laughs> but, but they are our supporters and we are powered by Easter Seals. So let's take a quick break and hear about Easter Seals. This podcast is brought to you by Easter Seals. You know, we work for Easter Seals, but maybe our listeners don't know what that is. Easter Seals is leading the way to full access, equity, and inclusion for disabled people and their families. And we've been doing this for more than a century. This includes helping disabled people find meaningful employment and addressing healthcare needs for all ages. We're proud to serve communities across the country and ready for the next hundred years. For more, check us out at EasterSeals.com. So we're back officially. Let's go ahead and introduce our partners. This is the love and dating season, and these are our partners. Brian, say hi. (laughs) Hi, I'm Brian. I am Lily's partner. I'm 25 years old. I work in out-of-home advertising, but... More so, I am Lily's partner. I'm Meinberg. I'm uh, Aaron's partner. I am uh, 39. I, I turned 40 about a month and a half after Aaron turns 40. And I am a, uh, a freelance writer. And game designer. And game designer. Oh, cool. All right, so well, here's the meat of it. Let's get into our little interview section. How did the two of you meet? Do you share your story? Sure, sure. We actually met on Twitter. We were doing a one of those like hashtag chats. I recognized Aaron's profile picture from when I'd seen her on OkCupid. Okay and I was like, when I'd seen her previously on OkCupid, okay I was like, this would be weird. Neither of us can drive. How that's gonna, how's that going to work out? But then I saw her on, on Twitter, and it's like, you know what? Twice, that, that, uh, that's a coincidence. But also, like, maybe it means something. And so I messaged, messaged Aaron, and then she messaged back. And from there, we, we met up at Barnes & Noble, and it's, it's been wonderful ever since. Oh, so okay, so you were the DMer. You you slid yeah. in the DMs. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like that Barnes and Noble plays a role in your story because Barnes and Noble is also where we went on our first oh, couple nice. dates. Nice. Big reading couples. <laughs> Do you want to tell the story of how we met? Yeah. So I ended up transferring to uh, U of I, where Lily went to college, my sophomore year. And when I was trying to make friends through everything, we had some mutual friends in business, like fraternity life, but we ended up gravitating towards each other because I was an English major and she was a theater major. So in this world of like trying to be the cool kids and all of that with the fraternity and the business majors and everything, we just found that we connected so much more on a level of talking about theater, talking about English and the things that we were reading, the music that we were listening to. So similar to you guys, we ended up just kind of meeting and loving just talking about books going on cafe dates and everything and just slowly kindled this relationship are you talking about the parking garage <laughs> the parking garage was part of that. we had like this friend group in college that would hang in a, a parking garage and be college kids doing college kid things and it was like truly a group of everyone else was like engineering majors or business majors or like finance majors and Brian was like an English major studying poetry and I was a theater major. And we would just like sit in the corner and they'd talk about their like 
calculus homework and we'd be like so what do you think about Shakespeare (laughs) and that's funny that you brought that up I kind of forgot about that that's really interesting you say that because I'm an English major I was and my nerd is a theater kid yeah yeah I definitely think that there is like like you can find lots of maybe it's all like minority identities in general, but like, I I definitely think there's like homes for people in the arts when it comes to like theater and writing of like, we got a lot of stuff inside us to express. Absolutely. I think that was also a, a part of our like meeting up was that we both were from like predominantly very white communities and our friends were very white as well just where we were in central Illinois. And I am half Indian and Brian is Mexican. And it was like, for the first time, we were able to like talk about that and talk about how our families were different. That's a thing (laughs) with us as well. Definitely. Because my mom is Cuban. And so my family is very different from my Verge family. Yeah, my family is very, very, very white. Very white. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and, like, you didn't understand at first, like, you're like, why are they yelling at each other? Yeah. And, like, they're not yelling. They're just having a conversation. But a loud conversation. <laughs> I said the exact same thing about Brian's family early on. I was like, everyone's kind of, like, really sarcastic and yelling a lot. And he was like, that's love. You're seeing Mexican love. So, oh, this is a fun question. Who said I love you first? Mm, I don't remember. It's, it's been like eight years. Yeah. Somebody said it. I think I think it may have been me, but also, like, you basically implied it by that point. Remember well, the time I asked you to marry me? Sure do. I was a month into the relationship. You, you, you drunk text, texted me. I did. It was a little early. A little early, but you know. Yeah. The first time we said I love you, it was we? New Year's. I said <laughs> I love you. It was New Year's. I mean, I think we'd we'd only been dating for a few months at that point, but we were setting up for a New Year's party at my house, and I needed an aux cord, and Lily had brought it to me, and I just turned around real quick and go, oh, thank you, I love you. And then we were just sitting there, and like all my friends were standing around, and we were they were just looking at me like, what? All of his friends were there. I don't even think we were officially dating. We were like, it was like I he he had brought me to meet his friends. And, yeah, I had an aux cord in my car. And he was like, thank you, I love you. And I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that one kind of slipped out, but we have said it much more intentionally since then. <laughs> yeah, I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love um, you. Aaron and I also recently. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> Say it back. Um, so, Okay. What is your favorite part about your relationship? I love how I feel like I can be who I am without... It's just a level of comfort and being myself mm-hmm. and being ourselves and, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. What about you? Oh, there's a lot of things. I like I don't have to take stairs anymore. I don't have to take stairs from one of you. What does that mean? That means I don't have to take stairs. I don't have to walk up and down the stairs. It means okay. that if I'm with you, like even if we're on the second floor, we can take the elevator down. Oh, it's literally. Yeah, like literally. <laughs> like literally the stairs. 
I think I think a little more deeply. I think it's that you know that I feel like we are just like I said we're comfortable with each other and like we don't have yeah. to like pretend to be anything that we're not. Right, and it's a safe place. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I've mentioned this on other episodes, but we broke up because I was moving to LA. Well, it wasn't because I was moving. We broke up because we we, we just broke up, um, and I moved to LA. And it was during the time we were broken up that I found out I was autistic. And when we got back together, I think that, like, this new version of our relationship, one of my favorite things about it is the, like, deep understanding that our brains are very different. And it's, like, quite fun to figure out how we best communicate and like especially in living together there's been times when we've like had aha moments of like oh you're seeing this like this but I'm seeing this like this and it's very nice I don't know if I would call you neurotypical but you're not autistic fair yeah yeah that's a fair statement what's your favorite part about our relationship lean in yeah um so my favorite part about our relationship I would have to say is the community building that we do together. So like I was mentioning earlier, um, you know, I come from a Hispanic family, a Mexican family from Chicago. It, my aunt lives two minutes away from my mom. My cousin lives five minutes away. So that community has always just kind of been a given to me that we will always have family barbecues any other weekend in the summer. Like you're expected to be there. You're expected to show up for your family and all these other parts. It's just kind of a cultural thing. And I think with Lily, with me learning about, you know, her family's culture, whether it be her mom's side from India or her dad's side from Lincoln, Illinois, I think it's just such an, uh, one of the benefits I have is just getting to learn these people and their own cultures and the way that they build their community within their family. And one thing about Lily that I do also love is that, that, community doesn't stop with family. It expands onto her, like her adopted family. So all of her friends that are in and around Chicago, she met while she was in high school. When they all are in Chicago now, it's such a great community that we have of this extended family. And, and even as you learn about, you know, disability in the community that you guys are building with this podcast, it's incredible for me to learn and to benefit from the communities that you're learning about and that you're participating actively in. So that I would say is my favorite part. I really like that answer. I said at the top of this episode that I would not defend my queer identity because of like you being my boyfriend on this podcast right now. But I will say that I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I have a, a group of women in my life that our friendship transcends friendship. Like we're deeply in love with each other. My like best friend and I strictly refer to each other as soulmates. And I often say she's like the love of my life. And I have had partners in the past. And so has she who have been like really threatened by that because I identify as queer. So like, what does that mean? Like having all of that. And I think that you've always had a really deep appreciation for the way that my friends and I love each other. And the intimacy that we have. And that, like, I just appreciate you saying that about community because I think that that is a real strength in our relationship and helps us deal with, like, the ups and downs that do come with having an autistic partner, which I know there are. Which brings us to, like, our next question, getting kind of 
as deep as you want to go. What do you think the hardest part about your relationship is or being in a long-term relationship? If you want to bring disability into it, you can. If not, what else? Yeah, I'll let you answer that. I think the biggest troubles come from my own disability, from my depression. And it just, it becomes easier to want to just pull away from everything rather than connect. Even though I know that connecting and being and participating in society with Aaron is so much more fulfilling than not being part of anything. But also there's that pull to like disengage, to just kind of hide away for a little while. But Aaron does not like it when I don't come over. We don't oh. see her. Which is, that makes sense. Like, yeah. But there's, there's like that push and pull between that desire to be in the relationship, that desire to be a full and active partner, and then that desire to not. And I know that that desire comes from my mental health illness rather than from my true character, but still is a part of me. It's an issue sometimes, but like, it's an issue that we work on together. Yeah, and I think, like, towards the beginning of our relationship, I didn't understand that. And I was very, like, offended. Mm -hmm. And you just didn't show up. Yeah. But now I understand it. And, like, we talk about it. You know, I give you your space. Mm -hmm. as needed so we have really good communication yes which i think really helps a lot yeah with our disabilities i think we struggled a little bit with communication in the very beginning but then like after that first year i think we were pretty solid yeah definitely yeah i mean to get to eight years that's that's gotta have really good communication well i'll turn that question to you what do you think and feel free to you're never going to offend me, my love. So. <laughs> I'm not afraid of that. No, no worries. I feel like I similarly, I, I connect with you guys in that when the going gets tough, sometimes with my own mental health, like what I'm dealing with at the time, I tend to shelter myself when the going gets tough. And what's been the hardest part is, you know, making sure that I'm actually putting myself out there more so, especially when Lily's going through anything like a panic attack or whatever, instead of receding inward to be more outward and be more vocal in helping her. You mentioned long-term. What's the hardest part of a long-term relationship? Lily has mentioned how we've had a tumultuous time since we met each other. <laughs> she was out in LA for two years and then we reconnected and we moved in in Chicago together. I think about understanding who we are now as opposed to like referring to the choices we would have made when we were dating four years ago, five years ago, when we were separated by long distance, when we were across a campus from each other. I think it's important to understand that growth and that just because we might have made a choice a couple years ago or had something to say a couple years ago, that's not who we are now. We have both been on really long journeys of understanding all the influences that we've had from our families, from doctors, from whatever it be. And so taking it fresh, taking a clean slate every day, not for the important things like handling just, you know, what it means to be autistic, what it means to be a, have panic attack or social anxiety, but in that we can give each other that leeway to really grow each and every day without feeling a limit to that. Yeah, we, oh, I like that you bring that up. We made a commitment when we moved in together, we talked about it and made the official commitment to each other to treat the thought of, oh, I know this person as almost like a red flag of like this feeling of like, oh, I know how they would behave in this way. Like, I know what they would do. And I think partially the reason we like that commitment worked for the two of us was because I have 
changed so much of my own, like, how I identify in the time we've known each other. So we know we're constantly changing. And also just with the knowledge of that, like, I mean, we met when we were 19 and 20. And I think that I'll back up a little bit. I think one thing for me as an autistic person in my previous relationships, there's a term called limerence, which is a kind of autistic phenomenon of the feeling of that, like, when a person becomes your special interest. And it's like a very intense kind of obsession feeling of love. And I've definitely felt that in other relationships. And in this one, like really trying to understand what love is like that is not that kind of limerence, that is instead like seeing each other as full humans. And I do, so I think that part of that I'm not sure if this is all making sense. And the thesis of this, everything you know about disability is wrong. I think it could be easy to think like in relationships that deal with disability, that it's like about like memorizing exactly who your partner is and what their needs are and how to be how who they need you to be. And like, that's not our experience at all. It's actually like leaving space every day to say like, this is how you used to accommodate me. I need to be accommodated in this way today. Right. So it's that communication that is, like, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know the two of you are very chill people, which I would not describe us as. So how do you handle conflict? We, we don't have a lot of conflict. We, we sometimes have disagreements. And yeah, then we have like, a disagreement. We, we, just, we just talk it out. We, 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 yeah. Sometimes you need to take a little step back for like a, a moment, mm-hmm. but then then we just talk it through and we explain ourselves and we explain our perspectives and, and our disagreements and like why we disagree and how our perspectives have have come to the point where we now have this disagreement and then we you know work on building a consensus from that point of disagreement. Yeah, it's, like, it's it's very boring. Yeah, we don't really have no, we don't really have like intense conflict. Yeah, it's just like. Wow, you're listening to this music artist who is terrible. Yeah, like Mariah Carey, jeez. Wow, no, like <laughs> just like 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 silly arguments like that. It's yeah. like I don't know. I just feel like our relationship is very chill, and like I don't feel like I don't like drama. Mm-hmm. You don't like drama, so we just avoid it at all costs. Yeah. But also, we share. Our emotions with each other, we're constantly checking in on each other, like, mm-hmm. are you okay today? How are you feeling? And that really helps, like, set the bar for each day to know, okay, you might be feeling really depressed today. I know to like, let you just chill and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I love that, and I like the thought of, like, daily check-ins. I think one thing that hasn't really been brought up yet is that, like, my mental health is, like, quite dominated by my menstrual cycle, which this is, like, a little bit of my own agenda I'm pushing is the, like, for listeners in the everything you know about disability is wrong kind of thesis that, like, so I was diagnosed bipolar before I found out I was autistic, and I think that there's a lot of people who... Not saying that no one is bipolar. I definitely think people are bipolar, but I think that there's 
a lot of people who are assigned female at birth have reproductive systems and are autistic will get misdiagnosed as bipolar because of the cyclical nature of PMS really affecting autistic people. If you have a reproductive system and are really, really affected by like mood and your mental health is really affected by your period, I cannot recommend enough to look into PMDD. And yeah, that's my own little spiel. But anyway, with that, I think that there's uh, one of the ways we really have to handle conflict is understanding when like this needs to wait. Like today is not the day. I cannot have this conversation today. And I think that that's been important for me in getting to know my own kind of autistic identity is like the understanding of like this conversation today will result in a meltdown. Like there's no there's no good good way to have this. And I think that I really like love seeing couples like yourselves who like really prioritize that daily communication and those kind of daily check-ins because for me as an autistic person with PMDD daily is the is the frequency at which it has to happen because on a day-to-day sometimes I wake up feeling like completely different. Right. I know with my anxiety I'm very much like I see a problem I have to address it right now but I've had to learn like you can wait to talk about something. Mm-hmm. Like, especially because if I know you're having an especially bad day, I will hold it until I know that you're not or that you're in a safer mental place. Mm-hmm. But like, dealing with my anxiety and your depression at the same time, I think does create a little bit of conflict sometimes, but as we do work through it, I say more tension than conflict. Yeah. And then, then we reach a point where we can undo that tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's such a classic coupling of the, like, anxious attachment style, avoidant attachment style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think, I mean, that's, defi- that's definitely us. I'm very anxious. You're very avoidant. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit avoidant. <laughs> and that, it is, like, it is a skill you have to learn of that, like... Ah, as much as I feel like I need to address this now, they're feeling like I need to not address this right now. And navigating that, I'm glad we're all at places where we feel like we can. I have, okay, we're kind of running out of time. I have one question. How do you describe the feeling of love? Safety. Safety and just, like, I don't know, how do you describe it? A small flame tended to in a cold night, far from far from the road, off in the deep woods, okay. but just for us. That's very sweet. I love that. That's, a great That's such a you answer. You answered that like, oh my god, okay. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just like safety. If you like did this entire monologue. Well, I am a published it. poet. I know. In my college, in my culture. Yeah. Literary journal. Community College Literary Journal. <laughs> That's published. Yeah, I, it is. It is. I really like the small flame detail there of like really needing to tend to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. How would you describe love? I would say it's the it's the comfort that I feel when I know that I am being myself so truly that I only feel with so few people 
that like I'm fully able to be myself without the filter, without the like thinking twice about what I'm doing. And you can 100% match my energy, no doubt, no question to it. And that makes me feel love. That makes me feel like the warmth inside. Like we're, we are connected. We got that brain together. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, this might be a weird answer, but like it's the safety to be silly. Like I am a very silly person and so are you, Brian. And there's a level of like, I know that you take me seriously enough. I know that you believe me when I say things to the point where like we can be silly together and feel genuine. I think this might be like very autistic of me to say, but like I have a very difficult time with the type of love you show by like picking on your friends. Like I have a really hard time with that. When I look back at some of my old friendships or relationships, I now can see that that was like the major issue and why I was like so anxious the whole time was that like that kind of like, I love to roast you relationship. It's very, very difficult for me because I find that like, I never deliver correct. I always like roast too hard. Like I say something that's just like cruel and I'm trying to be funny or my friends are trying to be funny. Well, not anymore. My, my friends who I'm close with now all know me and know that I don't really like that kind of thing. But my, in some previous friend groups where I would just like truly be feeling hurt all the time. And I, I have a hard time with sarcasm sometimes. And like, for me, love is that space of like where I can get to that. Like, I I can feel like we can kind of pick on each other because I feel safe enough. But that takes a lot for me to get there. Like, I don't don't feel that way with most people. Um, So, yeah, I think that's it. And I just love being silly with you. I think that I have a mentor in life, and her name's Nessie. When I told Nessie that, like, Brian and I were going to move in together, and, like, she just asked, she was like, do you laugh? Do you laugh often? And I was like, oh, we laugh all the time. We're just always yeah. laughing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that's how you show love. So that means it works. Like, that's it. Oh, that's so, so sweet. Yeah, that's our sweet. So this has been a wonderful episode full of love. And I, I'm just really happy for both of us that we have such wonderful, supportive partners. Same. And each other. I love being your friend, Erin. Same. I love making this podcast with you. It's the best. It's really wonderful. I don't think we need to ask us anything today because we just ask each other a bunch of things. Yes. But thank you to our listeners. Happy Pride. And we have one episode left this season. It's going to be wonderful. I can't believe it's already happened. This podcast has been such a truly wonderful experience. I'm already excited for next season. We still have the email open, everything you know at EasterSeals.com. If you're interested in being a guest next season or you have topics you'd want us to cover, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Thank you for sticking with us this season. This has been a wonderful episode. Thanks for doing this, Erin. Thank you, Lily. Wonderful to meet you as well. Brian, thanks for being on this podcast with me. Great meeting, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You too. Have a lovely day, listeners. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to write a review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Join us next time when we discuss more reasons why everything you know about disability is wrong. Everything you know about disability.